doing nothing is not an option. You mean avoidance isn't a good um, choice there? No. Oh. Him, him, him. Oh, no, 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 I'm, no, I'm no. really good at conflict avoidance, though. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> that, <laughs> that actually doesn't work very well. But that is the most common approach that I've seen of people in leadership. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. Kim Skorupski here, and I'm so happy that on today's episode, we have one of our oldest friends. Well, I shouldn't say you're oldest, but you're certainly the most, the first friend on the Faculty Factory Podcast, Dr. Charlie Irvin from Vermont. Charlie is the Associate Dean for Faculty at the University of Vermont Medical School, Professor of Physiology and Biophysics in the Vermont Lung Center, and the Associate Chairman for Research in the Department of Medicine. Welcome back to the podcast, Charlie. Hey, Kim, how are you doing? Well, um, again, friends out there, you've heard Charlie's podcast and a lot of episodes on imparting some great wisdom and take-home points in this uh, great series he started up there, a bookmark series in Vermont. And today, he's going to be talking with us about something we all deal with a lot, and that is managing difficult situations and these challenging situations we find ourselves in, and he's got some good strategies for us. So take it away, Charlie. Thanks, Kim. I'll give you a little background on this. I had gone to the summer GFA meeting and uh, listened to Dr. Sharney from Arkansas give a really great talk about fire stomping, which is a variant of what I'll be talking about. And I thought that would be a good thing to talk about for our network, uh, the New England Network of Faculty Affairs meetings, we're seeing increased problems with HR problems, with uh, staff, with faculty. It's a stressful time. Um, Everybody's stressed out. We know that physicians are burned out and people are acting out. And and there seems to be an increased um, issues coming up. And And then how do you deal with those? It's not like, uh, at least in graduate school, I don't remember a course in this. In medical school, they certainly don't deal with this. And so none of us are really trained HR professionals for the most part. And we kind of learn on the job. And I thought it might be fun to get together. So what we did is we had four rounds. So we had a, a meeting that lasts for four hours. And, and we did four rounds. The first round is break up into groups and each each table discussed their train wreck case, and they talked about it as it occurred. So that's fun because you get to tell other people about Dr. So-and-so who's acting up. You don't say their name or anything, but you just talk about the case, and it's driving you crazy. And then you decide as a table which case you, you like the best, and then uh, you present it to the group. Uh, this is the case we discussed that we kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then the second round, what you do is anonymize it to to protect the innocent, which is us. And then um, the third round is you now present your anonymized case, which you've now discussed for quite a while. So you really got it down to the conciseness. And you present it to a panel, um, and we had three HR experts and a lawyer, uh, and it was a lawyer, a university lawyer here who specializes in employed law, employer-employee law, and uh, fantastic. It was great. So here's the case. You present the case, and then you say, well, as a group, we decided we should do this. 
And it was really fun to watch now the lawyer go, nah, you can't do that. That's illegal. Oh. <laughs> and so, um, whoops, can't do that. Uh, and the, or the HR person says, no, there's this thing called progressive, uh, what do they call it? Progressive disciplinary. There we go. Yeah. Where you go through different steps. And uh, so it's a good, it was really great. And then the last round was, well, what are the top 10 tips that we got out of this today? And so we massaged that a little bit. And then I produced one of my bookmark uh, things. So it's a, it's a kind of a large-ish bookmark. And it says 10 steps, tips and strategies for managing difficult issues. Now, before I get into that, I thought I'd talk about a couple of scenarios just to give you an example of, uh, you know, the kinds of things you might deal with. So we'll start. this is this was a series of scenarios we did for the Department of Medicine with the help of the HR person. Okay. And the first one is um, pretty straightforward, and it was great because this one is the one that created the most <laughs> discussion amongst the division chiefs of the Department of Medicine. So the scenario is this. A faculty member has 300 unsigned charts is consistently late for clinic, and rarely attends division meetings. What do you do? And all oh, they were go, oh, yeah, I, oh, yeah, we got guys that don't sign their x-ray things. We got, oh, all kinds of things. So what do you do with this person? Uh, do you ignore it? Maybe it'll go away. Maybe it'll get better. So, so that's one scenario. Let me give you another one. A new faculty member started three months ago. You met with her to check in just to see how she's doing. So you're the division chief. And she shares that there is a faculty member who's making her transition very difficult. This faculty member uh, questions her judgment that of her, and that of her colleagues in front of others and makes demeaning remarks about other divisions and faculty. And, of course, in the world of LCME, that's not a good thing. So she's been reluctant to bring it up because she's the new kid on the block and doesn't want to bother anybody. Now, this is not you, the division chief, think to yourself, well, this is not the first time you've heard about this particular faculty member's behavior, and you've actually witnessed it yourself. Uh, He has been behaving this way before you were even the division chief. Mm -hmm. He's been on the faculty for years and is a highly regarded scholar and clinician. What do you do? Let me give you another example. Uh, there was a senior uh, faculty member, uh, actually a, a dean, one of the sub-deans, uh, who uh, was harassing, uh, would yell at people in the corridors, uh, would have shouting matches with things. In fact, I was subject to it at one point. I was coming out of a meeting. Uh, he started yelling, berating me in front of others. I don't even remember what it was, but it was out of the blue. And I... And so then, so this is not okay, and it's not okay in the world of harassment. Uh, you know, that the bar for harassment, as you know, is very low. I mean, if a person feels very uncomfortable in their workplace, that's, that's starting to get to that, and it's consistent behavior, et cetera. And then, of course, we go to the far end of things, and that is assault or uh, sexual harassment, when our dean group got together, there were several cases of, uh, you know, inappropriate sexual activity or harassment. I could tell you stories, you know, about that sort of thing. And so you have this gamut of bad behavior. 
and it could be from a staff person or it could be from a, in our case, because we're faculty affairs folks, we're talking about faculty. And the division chief or the department chair may be ill-equipped to deal with this. And so then it comes to your attention. And some of this, of course, like harassment or sexual harassment, uh, we're man- as faculty members, many of you may not know this, but you're mandatory report- reporters. You have to report it if, oh, you, yeah. if you learn about it. Yes. So, I mean, how do you do that? How do you go about doing that? So that's what we sat and talked about. And so what I thought I'd do now is go through the tips and then we'll go back and think about a couple of these cases about how to handle it. Great. So the first tip that I got is from, um, you know, from the HR folks was suspend judgment and assume good intent. So, you know, you take somebody who you may know about or they have a rep and you just say, okay, as I go into this thing, you know, trying to learn more, I have to assume good intent and I've got to suspend judgment and I've got to take whatever my feelings about this person are and leave them at the door. And that's hard to do. But you have to try try very hard to be objective and fair. The next one is one that I use a fair bit. So I, you know, I get somebody who's acting up and I'll sit them down. You know, this could be a cup of coffee kind of a conversation uh, or it could be something more official. And you just say, you know, I'm curious why, you know, I've been hearing reports that you act in a certain way and I, and I'm just curious, why? Why is it? Because uh, that doesn't seem to be how you are. I mean, you're a really good scholar. You're a great clinician. And, and I'm just sort of curious. And I, and I have to tell you, I'm very concerned for you. Mm. So you approach things with curiosity and concern rather than start yelling at the person or, you know, leaning into them. Just help me understand this. Help me understand why you feel you have to, you know, do the X, Y, and Z. So that that was I think that's a nice approach to kind of start the conversation and and let the person know that you actually are because you know we are concerned for our colleagues um, and they have virtues that we want to preserve and just want to get rid of the bad bits. I always get both sides of the story. I mean, I've run a big clinical lab, I've run a research lab, and that's a that's one that you learn a long time. And that's just get both sides of the story. You're only getting one side of the story. You really have to, and particularly when you get into the serious stuff. Of course, when you get into serious stuff, you really want to handle that. And that really gets into one of my other ones. And that is consult and inform HR and general counsel early regarding questionable situations. So, you know, we all know, we've all had enough training as, as faculty affairs people. We know when the situation is really bad. When we're talking about something that's illegal, like sexual harassment, we're talking about something serious like harassment. Uh, we're talking about, you know, any really, really inappropriate behavior that's really horrible. And it may affect uh, a person mentally or, you know, clinically, you know, the patients. And that's, that's usually fairly clear, at least in my mind. Typically, it is, and so at that point, I don't even—I don't even worry about it. I just go right to HR, and I—and I've developed close working relationship with HR here in the dean's office, which handles the college, 
and then a good, great working relationship with the HR person over at uh, at uh, the hospital. Because our situation is the hospital is is not owned by the university, and so they're separate entities. And of course, the faculty that we have in a medical school cross borders, so you need to be talking to both sides of the fence. And we have a deal that if we have a person over here that's got gotten into mischief, we let them know, and then they let us know when there's a problem on that side of the fence, because there may be a pattern of behavior here. Right. You kind of know. At least at my age and the number of things I've seen, you know when you need to get the lawyers involved. But again, almost invariably, that's sooner than later. Now, the next thing actually comes from HR and general counsel, and that is they want to know the whole story. Everything's contextual. So a lot, what a lot of ha- what happens a lot of times is people will come. They don't really want to rat out somebody, so they'll. They'll say, well, hypothetically, this person, you know, they don't want to tell you who it is. And you just look at them and say, look, what's the nature of the issue? They tell you, that sounds pretty serious to me. I mean, that's a reportable offense. But I can't help you until you tell me the whole story because it's very contextual as to what the solution is. Uh, and so you got to get the whole story. You got to get some HR training yourself. Um, now, we, we all take, you know, modules about sexual harassment and harassment, but I think there's some sort of general stuff that we all probably ought to, you know, handle. Like when I took over running a clinical lab 35 years ago or whatever that was, I started reading and there wasn't any training to take. So I, I would read in the business magazines. There'd be some snippet about, you know, some how to handle HR issues. And I learned how to do it and got talking to our HR people and just got my training on the on the job. But you need a little bit. You don't need to become a professional, but you need to know the basics. And then uh, mentorship, you know, get training in mentorship. I mean, th- this is, now this is recommendations for division chiefs and chairs and and PIs and, and other people, but you really need to get some training. And the, the main thing with that I teach when I'm training on mentorship is you got to set the stage right. The first couple of meetings, this is what it's about. This is what I expect from you. This is what you can expect from me. And this is when you tell them you're not going to deal with bad behavior uh, and you're not going to deal with, uh, you know, uh, scientific misconduct, those sorts of things. And that that's that's setting the stage right at the beginning. Most people say, oh, no, let's get in working on our research project or our clinical this, that, or the other thing. And you can't do that. You've got, really got to sit down and get everybody oriented so that they know what the score is and they know what the deal is. And, and that's really critical. Because if you don't set the stage and it gets out of the box, you got to go back and, and deal with it. It gets kind of messy at that point. Um, what we've done here and our, our new Dean who came about a year and a half ago led the charge on this. And, um, you know, as, as, as I discuss it, you'll, you could probably think for yourself, whether you think this is a little bit, um, I don't know, mom and apple pie, but it's had an interesting effect. And that is his hobby horse is, uh, professionalism and exhibiting professional behavior. Now, that sort of seems obvious. We're medical, you know, we're professors, we're physicians, we're scientists, we're supposed to be professional. But as you know, many of our colleagues don't see the world that way. And so he put together a committee. The committee came up with a statement 
I have a badge on my ID badge that has a big sign of professionalism on the front and on the back is the paragraph about professionalism. And then he enforces it. So in the case of the one person who was bullying people in the hallway, he got fired. And he was a person that people thought was bulletproof. No way was this person ever going to get held accountable. And boom. So here's a situation where professionalism statement was put in place and it was acted on. Hmm. And now the college knows that he means business. And that's good. That's really good. So at first I was going, we're all professionals. We should know this. But, you know, now that I've watched it in in action, it it really helps. Uh, It's just like the thing I said about mentoring. You kind of set the score. This is the culture that we want. This is the kind of behavior we want. This is the kind of behavior. And accountability, yeah. Yeah, and we're, we're, you know, whether you're a physician or a, a professor, I mean, that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be professional. And the fact that we have to tell people about it seems a little sad, but, you know, it's better to be clear at the beginning. And then um, after that is, uh, you're going to love this one, conduct timely, accurate, and honest evaluations. Uh-huh. Now, this is an LCME requirement, right? You've got to review every faculty every year. But how many times have you run into a problematic faculty? You say, let's pull the records on this person Nothing. and see if this has been going on. And A, you're going to find, no, hmm, we don't seem to have an evaluation. Why? Guys are pain and you don't like doing it so it doesn't get done. Or B, it happens and you don't want to have a, a dust up with them so you do a whitewash job. Right. And then there's no there's no trail or history of this behavior. No. So even then when it gets ugly, there's no pattern and there's no evidence. And the, nope. especially they'll go back and say, well, look at my past annual reviews have been great. My RVUs are yeah. this, my productivity is that, and now all of a sudden yeah. this, now you're in a real pickle. Right. And then what does HR say to you? You're out of luck. <laughs> no, you got to start from scratch. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's going to take six that you know, six months a year at least, right? Now you want to get rid of the person today, but they're not going to let you go. You got to go through this because if that person comes back to the institution with a lawyer, right. they're going to pull out all these marvelous Glowing past evaluations. Reviews. That's right. And how's that going to play in in the courts? Yeah, not well. Yeah, so not well. So you have to do the evaluation. I hate them. I hate doing them. I hate being the subject of them, but you got to do them. And you got to be very, you got to be honest about them. And that is hard to do. Yeah. That's a very hard thing to do. Now, the last tip I have, and this is actually an interesting one because this is the one that uh, one of our lawyers pointed out to me. This is the one he likes the best. And that is doing nothing is not an option. You mean avoidance isn't a good um, choice there? No. Oh. Him, him, him. No, 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 no. no I'm, no, I'm no. really good at conflict avoidance, though. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> that, <laughs> that actually doesn't work very well. Yeah, tell me. And what. it doesn't work for, you know, but that is the most common approach that I've seen yeah. of, of people in leadership. 
they're just going to put it under the rug and avoid it because, well, it makes life simple. I just ignore it. And what they say, you know, or the, or the being more kind to, to leadership, I'll, they'll say, well, I'm sure they're really a good person and they're just going through a bad stretch. And so, you know, it'll get better. Yeah. Some miraculous thing. So I'm, I don't a, fan, know if I'm always a fan of wishful and magical thinking. You are. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to share something with you. You know, we, we go to school in undergraduate and I went to uh, a liberal arts school in the Midwest and you got to take certain kinds of courses. And I, I decided to minor in psychology. So I had to take two, I took two courses that have served me well as a, as a associate dean of faculty affairs. And the first of this is abnormal psych. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, schizophrenia, that sort of thing. Oh, now I know I can recognize it, right? So then the second one, which is actually now, now, now I'm being truthful, and that is child development. So the thing you get out of that is that most people's personalities are pretty set by the late teens. We can argue about when that actually happens, but by the time we get them, uh, they're past uh, a point where you can really make major modifications in their behavior. Mm. Um, sometimes you, they can have an epiphany and really change, but my experience is, that, I don't know what yours is, but it's not very often. Yeah. That past performance predicts future outcomes and that you're not going to be able to modify uh, their behavior very much or and, and you can't expect that they're going to change it a whole lot there are always exceptions to that but but by and large that's true and so then you got to say okay this was a bad hire this isn't working out and now what now what do you do so then you well maybe it'll go away da da da, da. and then Fast forward six months later, something else happens. So then, you know, and then you start the process. And I don't, how many people have you fired? Me? Oh, I don't fire anybody. But well, I've have you never, ever fired anybody? No, I've never personally fired anybody. I'm not in that position. Thank, thank goodness. Uh -huh. But uh, no, we've had, we've had uh, dozens over my career. Dozens. Sure, doesn't. Yeah, so, and, and and what is the one thing that people say about a week later? They say, God, I wish we'd done that. Then, six oh, months oh ago. yeah, of course. It's like, oh, it's about time. I can't believe yeah. you didn't do that. Or, yeah, just we hand off the bad eggs to to another department, division, yeah, you and kick, make it somebody yeah, else's problem. Yeah. yeah, you kick the can down the road. But so, so I fired a fair number of people over the years. And every time I've done it, I go, geez, why did I start this a year ago or half a year ago? And, and so eventually I got to the point where I don't, you know, I, I, it's not three strikes and you're out. The first strike, you the first strike, you go to coffee and say, okay, what, you know, I'm really concerned. What's going on here? And if this isn't, and then you end the conversation, doesn't get better. We're going to have to take it up a notch. And that's already at the, I think, almost the second step. And then you start to go to, you get to, with HR and you start all the written stuff and you move really rapidly right. and you let them know that you're really serious. Now, half the time they'll jump and leave anyway, but the other half the time you got to kind of finish it up. So those are the 10 tips. I put it on this card. And then on the back side, I've got HR contacts <laughs> and the statement on professionalism. Right. So there it is. It's one stop shop and it's, um, 
what I've found when I handed these out is most people, I, when I visit them in their office, they've got it put up on their bulletin board or underneath the glass on their desk. Yeah. So are you, uh, you're going to try to apply some of these to like a scenario or two, but... While, oh yeah, yeah. While you're stewing on that, I want to just remind the listeners because this is you know important information not only if you're uh, as a leader, other dean folks listening to this podcast, but for faculty members, they are now I'm sure lots and lots of junior faculty members, mid career, late career faculty members who um, are trying to get some um, wisdom on on the podcast here, and so. This is what Dr. Charlie Irvin is, um, I'm going to I'm try to summarize your top 10 strategies for managing difficult issues. They were suspending judgment and assuming good intent. Right. Approaching situations with curiosity. I'm concerned. And I'm concern. Curious. Yeah. Curiosity and concern. Three, get both sides of the story. Yep. Four, consult and inform HR and general counsel early regarding questionable situations. Five is relay the entire story, not hypotheticals, to HR and general counsel. Then we're at number six is get HR training. Seven, receive training and mentorship. Eight is exemplify and encourage professionalism. Nine, conduct timely, accurate, and honest evaluations. And then 10, doing nothing is not an option. So I, I think those... Those 10 tips there that you've developed with your colleagues at the University of Vermont Larner College of Medicine are important for us at all stages of our careers. And I'm, I'm sure, again, there are faculty who are thinking about these issues with their staff, with trainees, with learners in, in their labs. Um, some of these elements could be used with perhaps patient encounters. And anywhere we work, all these scenarios and these, these tips are um, important. There's some, you know, I'm sure there's somebody can get some help or, um, you know, some strategies from any one of these 10, no matter where you are in your leadership level or, or career, right? So these tips were developed by, in a collaboration with the faculty affairs deans of the Northeast. They were reviewed by HR and legal. So they, they, they have some real, um, you know, yeah. merit behind them. Yeah. So there you go. Now, let's go back to our scenarios, like let's not leave them hanging. So one of them was a faculty member has 300 unsigned charts, is consistently late for clinic, and rarely attends division meetings. Okay. And you're the division chief. What do you do? Yeah. yeah to, to me, well, I, let's go to our tips. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm leading with the curiosity and concern thing that, um, yep. Listen, you know, Charlie, let's, you know, can we sit down and have a talk here? It's, you know, recently come to my attention, these 300 unsigned charts, and you're coming in late. I'm, I'm curious what's happening, and, and I'm concerned for you. Yep. It, so one of the things, of course, is this factual, or is this just rumor on the street? So the first thing I'd do is make sure it's true, if I didn't already know that. Right. Okay. So that's both sides of the story. Then I agree with you. I think, you know, we sit down, have a cup of coffee, and say, like, Yo, what's going on here? Yeah. What do you think they're probably going to tell you? I mean, if you were going to guess. Yeah, well, it's, it's, there's going to be all kinds of justifications for the unsigned charts. That Maybe there's technology issues. Uh, uh, it's, they are, they're waiting for other pieces of information. They, uh, they're just overwhelmed with seeing patients, and they don't have the time to do it. It takes too much time. Yeah. 
They've got all kinds, maybe some things going on at home. For all we know, they may have, you know, sick children, partner, parents, uh, commuting issue. And, you know, being late, uh, that could be maybe they're, they're there, but parking is difficult. And when they get there, that's actually, they're not late, but it's, it's all kinds of. Yeah. So then you, you, you look at them in the face and you say, okay, so imagine you're in my position. Do you see this? Do you see that this is a problem? Do they even recognize that it's a problem? Yeah, good point. And then, you know, you move on from that. You certainly write them up in terms of their evaluation. You, you know, say, well, when can I expect this to be done? Now, most people will sit there and tell you, oh, I can get it done in a week. And I said, fine. In three weeks, I always give them more time. Mm. In three weeks, I'm going to check in and see how we're doing. Okay. And then if we're not doing really well, then we're going to wrap this up. So that that would be the way to deal with that. Now, here's a let's go back to the the one where the new faculty member and she's got a senior faculty member who is uh, just being a turkey, you know, not being very professional, uh, bad bad mouths other divisions, uh, bad mouths people's decisions, and she's very unhappy, and you know. Replacing faculty is expensive, hard thing to do. What happens if she up and leaves? You got this hole in your attending schedule. You got to fill in. Um, you know this person's been a bad actor, and they've been a bad actor for a long time. On the flip side, you know they're you know well-funded scholar. Um, they you know well recognized in their field, uh, and they've been getting basically been getting away with this. Uh, for years. And this has got to be something. I've seen this in every institution I've been. I'm sure you see that at okay. Johns Hopkins. And so what do you do about that? Yeah, to, to me, that's, you know, starting with the assumption as you've laid it forth in this scenario, that it's a known fact that this, this, this bad, this, you know, bad egg is, has this history and reputation. So assuming that that is true and there's not a, a necessary step of, let's getting the both sides of the story and making sure that this is accurate. If we know that this is the truth, then to me, that's another, you know, sit down with the, the bad egg um, talking about curiosity, concern, and then reinforcing this, uh, the culture of professionalism, the expectations, the standards, what our code of conduct is and giving an honest evaluation and setting a course for correction and just expecting that this behavior will change and helping them, that person identify strategies of, if I feel like saying this, I'm going to say that if using a filter and actually having some strategies in place to change their behavior. And if they're not on board with that, and then we've, you know, we're elevating to, you know, HR, but I'd make it very clear to that person, you know, he, you know, this is a new day. We're we're not tolerating this anymore, and this is what the expectation is, and these are the consequences. And so, all right, let's come up with a strategy. What's your game plan? How are we going to fix this? Yeah, and that all seems reasonable and 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 uh, logical. What what do you think the odds that this is going to be effective are going to be? Well, you're, the emphasis on the words reasonable and logical. So, in some of these scenarios, yeah, you. As you mentioned, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So, while there may be a, a a nominal course correction, unfortunately, sometimes people under stress particularly revert to their, you know, their, right. their preferred state of being and acting, which is, you know, in those instances, not good. So that is the helping the person get off the bus and get on the, a different bus. 
Yeah, so then I, I this is a scenario where I'd probably be thinking about what's my nuclear option. What do you mean nuclear option? Or nu- well, this is, this, yeah, this is, so, so, you know, and I'm guessing here, but you know, I've seen these kinds of situations before, and I know that, uh, and again, it's, it, everybody's different, the situations are all contextual, I get that, but chances are that, that whatever kind of nice person approach you're going to take isn't going to have much effect, and either they're going to be good for a little while, then backslide, or they're just going to blow you off. And actually, and I've seen situations where they just start screaming at you, like, "What are you talking about? Well, this is this is not true." And then, or then they might even threaten you and say, "Well, let me, my lawyer will talk to you." Yeah. Now, this person could be in a different department too. So you've got a young faculty in your department, and the, this is some senior person in another department. So then, the the question is is what are your nuclear options? And and to me, the first thing you do, this is one where you need to explain to this faculty member that this is harassment. Ah, yeah, right. Yeah. This, this actually meets the definition of harassment because I've got a faculty member who's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and I can probably line up six others who feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And this is consistent. Yeah. So this, if, if, if I were, I'd have to talk to my HR folks, right. but they probably tell me this would meet that. So now... That moves it into a different level. Right. And then you go, I, this was one where I'd probably, if, if it came to me as faculty affairs, I'd sit down with the chair and explain to them what's going on here and that this needs to be rectified. Because as you pointed out really correctly, it's a new, it's a new world. It's a new era. Yeah. And, and most, most leaders, uh, I, know you're, I happen to know your dean. I can well imagine that your dean would not tolerate this at all no. uh, based on some of his experiences at other institutions. So I, I, uh, uh, I think I'd go nuclear real fast with something like this, and that is you go up above and you come down on them. Ooh. And that means going to the chair and saying, you got a problem, fix it. And if you don't fix it, then we're going to be having a discussion with legal. Yeah. That's, you're right. Our our dean Paul Rothman has done that. He's I think he's been here at Hopkins. I bet he has a couple of years before me. So that's maybe eight or nine now. And yeah. you 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 describe a scenario that we all know that it's you're exactly right. There's known bad players, and he said no. New day. We're not tolerating yep. this. I don't care how much money they generate it. Nope. We do not behave this way. We do not tolerate yep. this. And boy, talk about making a, an example that kind of whips people into shape when it's like, yeah, new sheriff on the block. We're not doing this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, those are the sort of the two ends of the spectrum, you know, and uh, these are just a couple of examples of, and then how do you approach it? How do you deal with it? How, as, as faculty affairs professionals, how can we help division chiefs and chairs deal with these situations? Yeah. Yeah. What, what I like about you, these, these tips is that, you can extract the elements that are relevant. Again, I'm thinking of the junior faculties now who are listening to the podcast that, uh, you know, to me, doing nothing is an option, is not an option. That 10th point is um, something for them to think about as well as, as in your labs, in your offices, in the clinic space, with your colleagues, that um, 
Yeah, know that uh, there there are strategies, there are tools. You have partners in your dean's offices and yep. your offices of faculty affairs and faculty development. We have this training. We have these relationships. We know our HR folks. We we know uh, the attorneys, and you're not alone on this. So as yep. you encounter these difficult situations, you know, don't just suck it up and say that's just the way it is around here. You know, no, you have advocates in your offices of faculty affairs and development. You have um, the power. You, um, as faculty members, even if you're a new faculty member, you have a lot more power than you think you do. And I hope yep. you seek out, you know, folks like us to um, partner with you to make sure that we make our work environment safe and and kind and polite and honest and just places where we can all um, nurture our talents and help each other rise to them and surpass our levels of excellence and doing excellent work. And we can't do that in toxic environments. So this is good nope. stuff. No, nope. no, we got, we got big jobs to do. We're stressed out and we don't need this. Right. And we should not be, we should not tolerate, particularly in our ivory towers of, of uh, medical schools and, and university hospitals. We, we, we're supposed to be the shining light on the hill. That's right. And we've got to make that a reality. I love it. We can do better and we will do better. And we're all in this together. Yep. So I love it. Once again, Good. folks, this is Dr. Charlie Irvin, the Associate Dean for Faculty Affairs at the University of Vermont Larner College of Medicine. Charlie, you are wonderful as usual. And folks, if you want to learn more about Dr. Irvin, you go to the facultyfactory.org website and tell more folks about the podcast. And hopefully we'll have Dr. Irvin back again sometime. And until the next time, thanks again, Charlie. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.